Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast, episode 77, the one about Lurpak simple advertising, loom video, storyboarding in the film, Now You See Me. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Two Geeks and a Marketing Podcast. As always, we're here to keep you up to date with the latest news, tech, content and wisdom from the world of marketing. And as always, I'm joined by a man who is on a mission to demystify digital marketing. He's the host of the Content Marketing Studio video podcast. Please welcome Monsieur Pascal Fintoni. Oh, thank you so much. And it is a pleasure once again to spend time with the man who's also on the mission to keep marketing simple, the voice of the marketing and finance podcast and the author of Cats, Mats and Marketing Plans. I give you Mr. Roger Edwards. Oh, Pascal. Now, listen, this is episode 77, but there's another thing that's happening for the first time in this show, which most people maybe wouldn't get unless I explained it. Pascal, you don't live in the UK anymore. You're in I, France. I am indeed. This is an international recording. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. We have officially gone international. So tell us, where are you actually sitting as we record this? At uh, this very moment in time, I am at the co-working centre called La Ruche, the Hive in French, in Saint-Nazaire, near Nantes in Brittany. Saint-Nazaire twinned with the northeast city of Sunderland and... I'm here really to do two things, help French exporters do a better job with their online marketing and, of course, continue to support my British customers via the wonders of the interweb. Now, Pascal, it is absolutely blowing a gale here in Edinburgh. I can hear the wind <laughs> hammering against the side of the house. And earlier on, it was torrential rain bashing the side of the house. But it looks to me as if it's rather hot where you are. Could that have influenced your decision in moving to France at all? That and the obscene amount of cheese, bread and pate <laughs> that I can consume, absolutely. Uh, it's actually a bank holiday weekend in France, uh, but I don't mind at all spending time with you and our lovely audience. Now, Pascal, today, as always, we've got a packed show and later on, when we get to the film marketing segment, we're going to be talking about a film from 2013 called Now You See Me. It was all about magicians, sleight of hand and misdirection. Really looking forward to talking about that. But we've got a few sections to get through before we get to the film marketing. But before we start, just a few thank you messages. Have to thank Making Sang for all of her shout outs over the last week or so. She's posted on Twitter, she's posted on LinkedIn and Instagram, some video shout outs for Two Geeks in a Marketing Podcast as well. The team at Plink for their shout out on Twitter and for creating a Plink page for the podcast. There's something particularly satisfying about saying Plink, isn't there? Mm. <laughs> Daryl Ziegler, the, mar the video marketing expert for his retweet of episode 74. Beth Hewitt and her daughter Leah, who thinks our podcast name is cool. <laughs> we think it's pretty cool as well. Thanks for that, Beth. And of course, Richard Tubb for creating a Twitter tweetinado talking about Top Gun for the first time. So, Pascal, That's... do you think we should get into the show? Let's begin with In the News. And we begin with Michael Lewis, UK CEO of energy company E.ON, stating that the rise in never-known-before energy prices will put 40% of its customers into fuel poverty by October 2022. Around two-fifths of people in the UK have been forced to spend less and stop buying clothes and meals out, according to new data showing the impact of the cost-of-living crisis. 
Superdrug is raising more prices and also launching a campaign with poverty campaigner Jack Monroe to offer customers tips to help keep costs down. High hygiene poverty is rising at an alarming rate. Meta founder Mark Zuckerberg has been personally sued in the US over his alleged involvement in allowing political consultancy Cambridge Analytica to gather the personal data of millions of UK US voters in the run-up to the 2016 election. Wow. Well, NatWest and the Royal Bank of Scotland are releasing their first episode of the Business Show podcast series hosted by TV and radio presenter Angelica Bell and produced by VaynerMedia in London. At its recent business messaging conference, Meta, again, revealed its new platform, Customer. That's spelt with a K. An all-in-one CRM and customer service solution that will integrate with Messenger, WhatsApp and Instagram Direct. And the Royal Horticultural Society is changing its image with a new campaign called We Speak Plant, featuring an animated film about plants discussing the problem they encounter at the, the hands of gardeners, with audiences being encouraged to speak plant too. The Cadbury's Caramel Twirl campaign actually gets people out looking for adverts hidden in remote remote places and ask them to tweet the location for prizes they also use the hashtag control twirl hype and this is a really really interesting advertising campaign which we're going to come back to in a minute but pascal the one thing that was really resonating with me as i was looking for the news items this week was this whole cost of living crisis which is engulfing the uk certainly and i'm sure is affecting people in france as well you know people are really really finding it hard to make make ends meet at the moment and that's going to have a big impact on marketers because if people have got less money to spend they're not going to be buying as many products and services as they were before and that means that us marketers are going to have to work harder to make ourselves stand out to get people to buy our stuff also there's two things i was reflecting on is i would imagine that for the marketing and comms department it's going to be a little easier to have a campaign around this idea of you know shortfall in your disposable income because they've did that and did very good job when it was covid mm. and everything that came with it so to actually be a brand of that can help others with tips and advice and can essentially say how can we help you today is going to sit better with the consumers but also is going to feel a more comfortable endeavor for the marketers because again the the, the practice the side of being a caring brand for me it's all to do with also the, the, the realization that the essentials that people have been buying no matter your level of income are increasing in price so it's not as if you know we're going to let go of let's say treats and 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 things that are not as important to you we're talking about the price of pasta of rice of toilet papers of bread of electricity and so on things that you simply cannot cut out of your consumption yeah absolutely and one of the things that stood out for me this week again is how some brands are actually bringing this whole cost of living crisis to the forefront of some of the campaigns that they're doing. And Superdrug, of course, in addition to freezing their prices, they've also got um, Jack Monroe, who, for people who don't know, Jack Monroe launched into into massive um, popularity by effectively doing um, a Twitter account which focused on really, really cheap meals. So Jack Monroe does fabulous recipes just using scraps that you might find in your fridge or really cheap pasta, as you've said, or really cheap vegetables. And, and, and some of her recipes are 
absolutely delicious Pascal. But it's interesting, you know, Superdrug, my initial thought was, well, Superdrug's all about shampoo and, um, and sanitary products and uh, aftershave and that sort of thing. But what they're actually doing is saying in order to be able to continue to buy grooming products and 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 products that and enhance your health you might actually have to cut costs or at least economize elsewhere so it's quite an interesting tie-in that they're getting somebody to help them maybe cut down on the cost of food preparation so that they can free up a little bit of money to continue to buy stuff from Superdrug. I think it's important for all the brands and actually anyone listening to to this recording that you can you can't simply communicate as if nothing is happening. Mm. Very much it was the case. If you allow me to go back to the COVID situation, it was quite an impossible uh, thing for someone to carry on marketing themselves as if nothing is, was happening globally. And this is yet again a global event. This is a global crisis. I think for me, it's back to. Remember we mentioned some weeks ago about greenwashing, so the brands jump in the bandwagon of the eco-friendly statements and whatever. And I think we need to be sure, all of us as marketers, now not only can we make the claims and be seen to be supportive, but you've got to make sure that delivery is in line with that. So it's not just making promises to increase sales. And actually, you've done very little to contribute to uh, easing the pain of, uh, again, the shortfall in disposable income. Yeah, and, and I guess there's also a fine line to be drawn, isn't there, between preaching mm. and offering really good advice. And I think these brands do actually do have to be careful, especially when they're saying to people, you know, you might have to cut costs here in order to be able to afford stuff over here. You, you, you can get into that territory of, of, of maybe being a little bit patronising. And I, I don't think Superdrug are doing that, but I just think that at the moment, people might be feeling a little bit vulnerable, and therefore the messaging is very, very important. Mm. Turning now to NatWest and Royal Bank of Scotland, um, releasing a podcast, The Business Show, hosted by, as, as, as you said, Angelica Bell. And I, I picked this one because it's produced by Vayner Media. And of course, we know Vayner Media in London is an offshoot of Gary Vaynerchuk, um, his big company, VaynerMedia, in the States. This is the first time I've come across some content which is actually produced by the mm. UK offshoot of Gary Vaynerchuk's company. And I, I, again, there are lots of money and finance-orientated podcasts out there. Of course, I run my own marketing and finance podcast. I just wonder sometimes whether people will really want to listen to a business podcast run by a bank as opposed to a business podcast or a money podcast run by somebody like Martin Lewis, the money-saving expert, or, or, or later on I'm going to give a shout-out for somebody called Mrs. Money, Mummy Penny. Uh, I, I, what do you think? Do people want to listen to business advice from a bank? Because banks don't have a particularly good reputation, do they? Although NatWest has done a pretty good job the last few years to be the bank for small business and startups. Mm. So if they're going to be smart, and I'm sure they will be, certainly with the support of the team at VenomMedia, to integrate the podcast as a value add to everything else they're doing for the small business community, I think be, I can't be sure about RBS. I don't know enough about them to, to understand whether or not they belong to the world of small business and entrepreneurship. But I'm curious, actually, uh, forgive me on this one, about what they're going to do around repurposing and around reach, because 
content production it's getting easier and with someone like the venue media team behind you i would imagine that the episodes would be well produced and and well published it's after isn't it that's what you're asking me you know will the audience be bothered to download you know the the app to listen to maybe the natwest uh, episode are they going to use you know paylink uh, what are they going to do with, with the show or is it going to be one of those where in a year's time when you now look back at it there'll be 12 episodes yeah. just sitting somewhere on spotify i did wonder that myself pascal are they really in it for the long haul with this or is it just a campaign to them and as you mm. say will it fold after 12 episodes seven episodes i mean they they still do say don't they that the majority of podcasts fold after seven episodes so i think we should probably come back and have a look at that one in a few months time and actually see how it's gone and how it's going and the, and the final one and this is in my opinion a little bit of genius here now you and i have often been critical of advertising because advertising on the whole interrupts, doesn't it? It interrupts you from watching your favorite TV program unless you've had the foresight to put it on the um, buffer. It interrupts you if you're trying to read something on a website and you get those annoying pop-ups that come up and block what you're trying to read. So a lot of the time we spend trying to avoid advertising. And along comes Cadbury's with an advertising campaign for their latest Caramel Twirl, where they actually encourage people to go out and <laughs> search for their adverts. And this is absolute genius. So what they've done is they've put adverts for their Caramel Twirl in really unexpected places. So on the River Thames, they've got some adverts actually posted on the side of the riverbank but below the tide line so of course when it's high tide the the water rises up and you can't see the adverts but as the tide goes down and the the level of the river goes down the adverts get revealed there's also been adverts put in the most obscure places in the um in the outer islands in scotland as well and they're actually encouraging people to find these adverts and then tweeting and saying i found the advert and there are various rewards and, and, and ways in which you can cash in on that now of course ironically they're having to do adverts to tell people to search for the adverts so it's like a two-sided campaign so they're doing traditional advertising to tell people about the hidden adverts but it seems to be working and i just think it's a really nice twist on an advertising campaign and certainly the most original idea i've seen for quite a long time no, you're absolutely right. I think it's very, very clever. And it's building, if you remember, on their um, Easter egg hunt um, mm -hmm. kind of um, campaign. Actually, that started in 2020 when people couldn't go out. You were basically, you could hide a virtual egg somewhere in the world near perhaps a loved one you can see, and you can take the eggs to them and, and, the, and the cards and so on, and you still have that connection. So I think they've learned from, from that campaign to build uh, this one, but people love treasure hunts. And now, actually, it's flipped because people can go out again in some part of the world and in, in, in the UK, particularly if you go into more, more remote locations. I have a quick story to tell you about the uh, virtual Easter egg hunt organized by Cadbury. So I hid a, an egg near Bordeaux and my sister lived for my nephews to find. 
It wasn't far from, from the house. It was in a park. It was near a, a pond. I don't know they go to regularly to feed, feed the dirt. And there was a virtual egg. And as people can imagine, you take your phone, you scan the surrounding area, and eventually the egg will appear as um, kind of AR onto your phone. Then I got this um, message from my sister saying, thank you very much for spoiling the day. And there was <laughs> a video of my nephews crying because they thought there was going to be a real egg. And I felt absolutely terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, sometimes virtual isn't as good as the mm. actual real thing. Indeed. So um, I'm, I'm going to take some eggs next time I see them. Won't, won't be long. So I'm really looking forward to trying these Cadbury's Caramel Twirls. I have to say, I do quite like the traditional, normal chocolate flavor twirl. But there's also an chocolate orange flavor twirl that you can buy at the moment. I have to say, I have had the odd sneaky um, Cabri's Orange Twirl recently when I've been down at the harbour on a Saturday. Mm. Anyway, Pascal, enough of the news. <laughs> I think it's time to shine a spotlight on some content. So shall we move on to the content spotlights? And in this part of the show, Pascal and I bring to the table a piece of content. It could be a video, article, podcast, whatever it might be. So Pascal, what have you got for us this week? Confession time. Today, I'm going to be focusing a lot on video across the different segments. So for content spotlights, I came across this article from Loom. You may know them as the app that you can use to record your screen and webcam and share some messages. This article was written by Ali Hitchcock, who's the lifecycle marketing manager at Loom, and it's called The Top 10 Ways Loom Uses Video at Work. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting because I'm having a lot of conversation at the moment with customers about video. They want to maybe do more, do better. They think of doing kind of half-year roundups as well to thank the troops for, you know, bringing 2022 back in line with previous kind of performance and, and customer experience. So Loom have a, um, a blog that they call The Transcript. Like they have a name for it, which I think is always great, um, which is all about reflections on effective communication from Loom and friends. And what Alice done is kind of compile that top 10 list with sometimes examples where you can watch videos. She also gives you longer descriptions. And what I want to do really to tease people into clicking on the link in the show notes to read the article for themselves. I'm going to go through her recommendations about how you could use video to bring people together, either internally as well as externally, and sometimes just to make sure that you know the written form has its limits. And for me, it's also about first impression, this impression that this message is important to you or that the audience is important to you and you've taken the trouble to record a video as opposed to writing a short email or even sometime, Roger, a very long email. I'm not a big fan of having to read a long, long, long written form of message where, where maybe a quick video call, um, you know, either live or, um, you know, on replay could be very, very helpful. So the top 10, starting with number one, a daily messaging to your team, particularly if you are working remotely. As a quick uh, aside, Loom is um, has 175 employees working remotely across 11 countries. That could be a very effective way to start the day 
as you would actually if you were in the office, if you remember fondly your days in corporate, Roger. Number two, providing feedback in more meaningful way and interesting way and sometimes a more understandable way. Number three, you're going to use video messages to actually reduce the number of meetings because people can watch the video message or indeed watch a video message to go to the meeting prepared and reduce the length of the meeting. Number four, special announcements that could be very important and better than the written form. Number five, explaining complex topics or steps. Number six, internal documentation. So guiding somebody through internal documentations or policies and so on via video, it's going to be easier and more um, kind of um, memorable than reading a 12-page IT policy. I'm sure you'll agree, Roger. And number seven, um, actually sending messages to your customers and to your partners to make sure that you're front of mind. Number eight, for good project management, it could be a weekly roundup, it could be a monthly catch-up. And nine, of course, you must use videos or supplement your marketing efforts with video content. And number 10, video will help customers and employees understand your culture, your values, and facilitate social connections. Again, I'm just reading the list for you, and I want you to read and watch the examples. What I will say, Roger, and I think it's implicit in the advice from, from Ali, just because it's a video, and yes, with Loom and many others, you could just click record and go, I don't think that's what the message is about here for this article. You've got to do the prep. You know, minimum you should write a few bullet points on the post-it, have it near your webcam, and then deliver the message. So the kind of press record and winging it is not at all, you know, what Ali is talking about. But she's saying with a bit of prep, with a bit of planning, you can deliver a more impactful message. And of course, one that can stay much longer, that can be watched again and again. I was really intrigued by her name, Ali Hitchcock. My my initial <laughs> uh, my initial reaction was, is Ali short for Alfred? But obviously, perhaps not. I mean, this is really interesting because it comes back to your point. A lot of companies, especially big corporates, still see videos as a big production, don't they? So we're going to do a video. Therefore, we're going to get a big film company in with, with all the equipment and the best boys and the key grips and the, the shiny silver discs and all of that sort of thing and yet you can produce video a lot quicker now i agree with you you've got to do the prep and you have to do a prep for a big video production as a one-off in as much as you have to do for a load of short videos but what this is really saying to you is you can use video all the time and it doesn't need to be a great big production with a little bit of preparation you can be doing it daily and i think that's the message that comes across from this for me no absolutely and Listen to, so if you are listening and watching to this episode and you still feel a little nervous about, you know, creating video messages, that's exactly the journey that we've all been through. I mean, goodness, Roger, if you cast your mind back to the, your very, very first Roger vlog, the very, very first time we recorded two gigs and so on, there's that nervousness because you want to do a good job. So do the prep. And remember, in this case, you are also sending the video message to an audience who's looking forward to hearing from you. This is not actually even the other side of um, public speaking. But being a little nervous is only natural. And what I'm teaching my customers is don't mistake the nervousness with the signs that this is not going to go well or that you're going to fail is simply you care and that will show during your delivery absolutely right so shall i tell you about my content spotlight? please yes now this could have been a news item 
It literally is as short as a news item, but I wanted to focus on this for the very fact that it highlights one of the things that I am so passionate about, as you know, and that is simplicity. So the actual article itself was in Marketing Week, written by Michaela Jefferson, and the title of the article is How Lurpak, which is a butter brand, how a Lurpak video YouTube ad ranked among the most effective in March. Now, this was the sort of thing that I would have just glossed completely over uh, because it did read as a news item, but of course they'd embedded the YouTube ad into the body of the article, and that's what grabbed my attention. And I clicked on this YouTube ad, and, and, and actually, Pascal, it is gloriously simple in the most simplistic of simplest, simple ways it could possibly be. It's a 10-second advert for a new style of Lurpak butter. It's like a Lurpak light, so obviously they've taken out some of the, of the bad stuff from it. And it's a 10-second advert, and literally it shows somebody cooking a piece of salmon in butter with some asparagus. And, you know, you could have shot this on your iPhone. You could have shot this on any um, budget camera. Basically, it starts off with a shot of the block of Lurpak butter, obviously with its branding and its wrapper on it. It then shows somebody snapping the asparagus into halves. It then shows a bit of the butter going round in a frying pan, somebody laying the salmon into the, um, into the pan, and then putting the asparagus in, swirling it around a bit, cooking it, and then the final product shot is of the block of Lurpak butter again. But of course, a little bit of it's missing because they've used it in the cooking. And that's it. Gloriously and unbelievably simple. And it works so well. I mean, it tells a story. You're cooking a meal. It tells a story about how simple um, the, um, the, the, the recipe is, how simple the advert is. And, of course, it manages to underpin that the Lurpak butter itself contains three ingredients within the butter and of course the uh, recipe itself includes three ingredients the salmon the asparagus and the lurpak butter and and that's all the article's talking about is how beautifully simple this is now there's a little bit of technical stuff going on as well because as you know a lot of youtube ads you get to skip them after five seconds and this is a 10 second ad so they were very careful to have a product shot within the first five seconds of the advert in addition to the product shot at the end of it because on the assumption that somebody skipped the ad after five seconds if they'd only had the product shot at the end a lot of people would have missed the product shot so it's quite clever in that but i i really just wanted to put this in my content spotlight purely from the absolute glorious simplicity of it and i just wonder whether you know we we, we said before about massive video productions and and huge scripting and exercises going on to create something really incredible but isn't this just absolutely gloriously simple and so powerful because of it it just makes you wonder if you were to produce something as simple as this for your product whether your product is a a, a course or a, a cupcake or a or a car how would you do an advert as simple as this Lurpak advert? Challenge yourself to try it, and I bet you can come up with some incredibly good stuff. 
But what's interesting to begin with, once again, you give me more assets for my training courses. I'll be downloading this video and showing it during my video marketing masterclass. Thank you very much. Uh, second thing, it's lunchtime in France. So this is making me feel so hungry. <laughs> I, could, I could just imagine it cooking. I could hear the sizzling in the frying pan and, and everything. But I would have loved to be flying the wall in that meeting when the agency came you know, with the idea. Because... I would argue maybe at first people were disappointed, like, is that it? You know, yeah. it's almost like when Steven Spielberg first heard, first, first heard the first notes of the Joe's thing from John William, and he went, is that it? I'm thinking a lot of money here to come up with something. <laughs> because I think that's it, isn't it? People are always under the pressure of the next PR stand, the next viral marketing, and it feels that you have to be clever. You have to over-engineer it. And essentially, you've told a story. It's almost like a recipe told in, in 10 seconds. And I think you are absolutely right. This is a wonderful exercise as we are doing kind of all of us media reviews and considering our video effort. Once again, we've not spoken to each other, but video is going to be the theme for, for this episode. Um, thank you very much. Do, do you know uh, uh, in, in the, show, in the uh, YouTube description who produced and filmed the video? Uh, I, it doesn't actually say it in the, um, uh, in the actual video shot itself, but... The agency, I think, if I quickly scan through the uh, article, is called Cantar, K-A-N-T-A-R. Mm. Uh, so I've, I've not come across them, but, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting. Simplicity always wins, Pascal. Mm. Shall we move on now and talk about something a little bit more technical, a little bit more... Uh, Wow, let's talk about marketing tech and apps. So Pascal, what technological wonders have you got for us this week? I did mention that the theme for me is video production and video project planning in particular. I'm having lots of conversations with clients at the moment in time, whether they want to produce new videos because they have new products and services, whether they want to do like a mid-year review, almost like vlog style, whether they want to go live streaming. But I say to them, you know, you need to plan this carefully and you need to borrow from the habits of successful filmmakers and documentary makers. I'm talking, of course, Roger, about shot list and storyboarding. And I came across some wonderful little kind of resources online. The first one is a shot list template from a company called Boards, B-O-O-R-D-S. I'm guessing maybe started as Boards and then became Boards. Now, they offer charitable services to help you plan your, your video project and film project, but they also have a very rich kind of vault of free resources. One of which is a free shot list. And the shot list for people, I'm not sure what it is, is when you've come up with the idea for, for your story. So let, let's use, for example, the Lure Park um, advert. And you, know, you write down, essentially, you know, your ideas to begin with, and then you have to translate that into the number of shots to make the different scenes. Now, traditionally, you could just use a bullet point list on a Word document, but what they've done, they've created a Google Sheets or Microsoft Excel template with a pre-populated kind of uh, populated columns and rows, and it's just really, really quite clever. You can tell that they've done this born at experience you have, obviously, 
columns with scene numbers. They have column for setup, shot number, description, which camera you're going to be using, which lens you're going to be using, which equipment you're going to be using. So, for example, in the list that they've got, the, you're going to bring your tripod with you, surely, your Steadicam, your drone, your dolly, your handheld. And you and I have been on location before where we left something back at home or in the back of the car. So the equipment to be linked to the shot list is very, very important. If needs be, you can also put the name of who needs to be present in that particular scene and so on and so forth. And the template is flexible enough for Roger to be able to add their own columns to add more information or indeed to simplify the shot list template by removing the columns, but to actually predict in advance the shots you're going to be taking and number them and so on is going to really, really help you not forget something on the day because, well, you know all too well how much goes on when you film on that very day. So from the shot list, they need to move on to the storyboarding. I'd love to see what the agency Kentar storyboarded with regard to the Allure Park advert. But I came across this company called Milanote. Feels very Italian, I have to say. And Milanote offers a free storyboarding uh, tool. You go on their website and they literally they have like a blank template of um, empty cards, empty frames, and you can drag and drop your own kind of uh, creations. If you can draw, I can't draw, um, Rogers, as you know. So what you can do, they have a partnership with Unsplash the free photo sharing website, we can drag and drop some photos from Unsplash just to give you a, a, a vision from the, the, the shot list of challenges words to something that is near enough what we're going to be filming. You can do that. So Milanote for storyboarding and boards for your free shot list template. Really good apps, those, Pascal. And again, just reinforcing that need to plan stuff. You know, don't wing it, plan it. And if you plan it, it'll work so much better now pascal you know i'm a big music fan and we've, we've spoken about this several times on the podcast i was really disappointed because one of my all-time favorite bands genesis they they were touring for the last time and the concert tour got cancelled not cancelled postponed because of the pandemic in fact got postponed about three times because of the pandemic and finally the concert was rearranged in october for glasgow and they were doing two dates in on in glasgow the 7th and the 8th of october and the 7th of october the concert went ahead and my what trisha and i were getting really excited for the concert on the 8th and of course then we got the news that the, camp, the the concert was being postponed again because one of the band had come down with COVID on the, on the night previously. And as it turned out, because of various factors, which we won't go into, they never rescheduled that Glasgow date. The rest of the tour was rescheduled to the beginning of this year, into March, um, and the concert tours went ahead, but they never rescheduled the uh, the Glasgow event, so I, I missed out seeing them. Now, of course, these days, as you know, lots of people take video at con concerts, and as you would expect, there was loads and loads of people filming all of the concerts around Europe and around America, and one guy has done the most amazing job of piecing together loads of different people's bits of YouTube video from the same event, the final gig in London at the O2 Arena. And he's obviously spliced it again with a very good audio copy of the concert and created a multi-angle video of that last con concert, which to be perfectly honest to me, looks like it was a professionally filmed uh, 
concert video honestly the work that has gone into this is absolutely astonishing and the, the the fact is they didn't film any of the concerts because they genuinely wanted this to be you know the the final tour and they weren't going to cash in on on selling blu-rays and dvds so this guy's done an amazing job and i found myself thinking you know i don't want to watch this on youtube with the adverts cutting in every five minutes so it reminded me of a piece of um marketing tech called 4k downloader which actually allows you to download videos off youtube to watch later now you could as its name would suggest 4k it will download the video in 4k if the video exists in 4k or you can select it right down to standard definition to save space on your hard drive if necessary now i i don't think this is illegal because this is a commercially available piece of kit and if it was illegal then youtube would have gone after them so i don't think we're breaking any rules actually saying um that it's available but if you want to watch youtube videos later or save them and don't want to have to have the adverts interrupting you every um five minutes then download it using you 4k downloader and just watch it later stream it to your device or whatever or just watch it off off your hard drive and it's such a fabulous little um app that you just put onto onto your phone you put the url of the video from youtube in i think it also works with vimeo as well uh, and you download the actual file and there you go the second thing, and this is interesting because it was either the last episode of Two Geeks or the episode before, I was saying to you, Pascal, do you know, I pay for Photoshop as part of my Adobe um, uh, Creator Suite um, account, but it's getting to the stage now where pretty much everything that I want to do with Photoshop, I can do in Canva. Now, for my Rogelog videos, as you know, I tend to have a static shot of myself and I put a white line around it. And that takes quite a lot of work to do with um, Photoshop. I have to actually draw a pen line around myself and then you have to superimpose the, the, the white line. And you can do that so much quicker in Canva. And I was getting to the stage where I'm thinking, you know, why am I paying for Photoshop when I can do this thing in Canva? And then I saw somebody shoot a quick video on, on YouTube this week saying, did you know about all these Photoshop quick actions? And I'm sitting there thinking, no, I don't know about these Photoshop quick actions. So I watched the video, very short video. It's about two and a half minutes. And believe it or not, Pascal, all of these great things that Canva do, does really simply are also available in photoshop but they're hidden way deep inside their help menu for some bizarre reason so if you go into the help menu on photoshop you scroll down and there's this heading called quick actions click on quick actions and there's about 50 different things you can do like remove background or blur the background or create monotone or create a duotone and it's there and it all works at the click of a button. So all of a sudden, as soon as I did the last Rog vlog, which I um, published this week, it saved me about half an hour's work doing the drawing around myself to put the white line. Why, why are they hiding this away in the help menu? Why don't they tell people that it's there? Because it, it may have been there for as long as I've been moaning about it not being there, Pascal. So just goes to show that sometimes you really don't know what's available in mm. stuff that you think you're really quite au fait with. Do you know, for me, that's one of the mystery of the world of tech. Why all the best stuff is behind the three dots 
you know, that you can find anywhere, or clearly the helm section, because surely they are mightily aware that this is of importance to graphic designers, to professionals, and so on, and just highlight it or remind people through your email marketing efforts. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, now I'm thinking, well, actually, uh, <laughs> now that puts Photoshop back in the frame. And because, of course, Canva is great, but it is still, you know, quite, you know, it, even the remove the background can be a little bit dicey, whereas Photoshop is really precise and absolutely works to a treat. And now that I've got that in ability to just press one button, as opposed to having to mess around for half an hour to get it absolutely right, immediately puts Photoshop back in the frame. So why why do you hide these things away, Adobe? Tell people that they're there. Yeah, well, they nearly lost a customer. Yeah, absolutely yeah. did, absolutely did. So Pascal, we always say, don't we, that we rely so heavily on all of this great marketing tech and apps that allow us to run our businesses and allow us to get customers and communicate with customers. But a lot of the time, the tech and apps that we use today, the inspiration and the development for those apps came from the past. So mm -hmm. let's fire up the flux capacitor, set the controls of the TARDIS, and head back in time for this week in history. And in 1859, the famous tower clock known as Big Ben, located at the top of the 320-foot-high Elizabeth Tower, rings out over the Houses of Parliament in Westminster, London, for the first time. And in 1944, Colossus, the first large-scale electronic computer invented by engineer Tommy Flowers, goes into operation at Bletchley Park and completely transforms Britain's wartime code-breaking efforts. And in 1968, Simon and Garfunkel's single Mrs. Robinson from a graduate hits number one spot, the first rock song to win a Grammy Record of the Year awards. And in 1990, Total Recall, directed by Paul Verhoeven and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sharon Stone and Michael Ironside, premieres in Los Angeles and becomes the number one film of the weekend ahead of Back to the Future Part 3 and Bird on a Wire. Wow, 1990. I know, I can't believe it. And of course, there's been a remake of Total Recall since then. So, Pascal, tell me a bit more about Colossus. You know, it's one of those where it, it feels as though we should be learning this more in history classes because two things. This is, you know, a story of grit and determination because Colossus was really the result of people trying to break the code of messages sent from Germany, I mean, made famous with movies like um, The Imitation Game and, and, and a few others, and people who were working with Alan Turing, you know, and 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 so on, were doing things by hand primarily. Well, they, they had a few systems, and Tommy Flowers pr uh, proposed that things could go faster and also be done overnight whilst the engineers and and the code brokers were sleeping with a computer. Perhaps wasn't called a computer. It took him one year to build Colossus, but it completely transformed our ability to break the code of the Enigma machine, but also there was another one that was even more important so that we could actually plan D-Day as it happened and win, uh, essentially, the Second World War. The Allied forces were able to push back the German army. Absolutely. And of course, I've seen photographs of Colossus, and it it was colossal, wasn't it? I mean, we are so blessed these days to be able to hold in our hands 
computers of the power of an iPhone. But this thing <laughs> filled like an aircraft hangar, didn't it? It was massive, absolutely gigantic. And, and it's a fabulous example of how technology has advanced. And as it's advanced, things have become smaller and smaller. Do you know what is um, heartbreaking, literally? Talking from cold breaking to heartbreaking. <laughs> um, once the war was over, Colossus was destroyed ah. because of its sheer size and because of this view that, well, something else better will come along, probably did. I think there are some elements of, you know, uh, Tommy Flowers' contribution, like smaller bits of equipment and machines left, um, I think, actually in the war rooms in, in London. But, um, yeah, it, it was just destroyed, like discarded. Oh, that's, that's, that's just criminal, isn't it? Absolutely <laughs> criminal. But uh, but yeah, I mean, the the they obviously made a film of all of this, um, and maybe hopefully one day somebody will create a replica that will will be yeah. able to go and actually see. Maybe we should start a Kickstarter campaign. <laughs> now, Pascal, we obviously talk a lot about films on this podcast. We love films. Film marketing mm. is one of my favourite parts of the show. But I'm also, as you know, a big music music fan. I've already referred to that um, in this episode already, and. Very often, there will be a song that you associate with a big blockbuster movie. So I'm thinking um, The Power of Love, you associate that with Back to the Future. Um, uh, Take My Breath Away, you, you mm. associate that with, with Top Gun, which is, which is at the forefront of everybody's mind at the moment. And this news article about 1968, the film The Graduate, and Simon and Garfunkel's single, Mrs. Robinson, is probably the first example I can think of of a big movie sort of that I was aware of growing up where it had a massive, massive hit single associated with it. And that's really why I, I wanted to, to um, shout it out today was just the fact that with big movies, you often do get big songs as well. And Mrs. Robinson, to me, is the first example of a massive movie that also came with a massive hit single. What is interesting is I remember watching this with my parents, um, maybe in late 70s or early 80s, and I was far too young. My parents were laughing all the way through. <laughs> and I just didn't understand what was so funny about the whole thing. And of course, few, many, many years later, maybe as a teenager, young adult, I watched it again and realized, actually, it is a very, very funny movie. And the performance by all the actors, you know, and that song, of course, is just so memorable that as soon as it starts to play on the radio, or if you played, you know, on YouTube or Spotify, it just takes you back to those moments in life. Absolutely right. Again, and and the music often can date a movie as well. Um, and obviously, Mrs. Robinson is quite a has quite a folky feel. It was it was actually classed as a rock song, but to me, it it, it sounds like more of a folk rock mm. type of, of song but again i think like anything we've said before whether it's back to the future or top gun sometimes the music that is associated with the film can actually date the movie as well i mean top gun is a definitely an 80s movie um and those songs you associate with being 80s songs so as always we we really do owe a massive debt to the people and the pioneers from the past for giving us what we have in our present and talking about the present pascal let's come back to the present and let's do some creator shout outs 
Okay, Pascal, who are you going to shout out for this week? This week, I'm delighted to introduce you and our audience to Christina Cook. She's the owner and founder of Artibald Photography. She just launched a photography course, online course. But the reason why I wanted to give Christina a shout out for the incredible work she's put into her YouTube channel. She's on a mission very much like you and I to completely demystify and simplify photography. And I have to tell you, for a photographer at heart, her videography effort are just spectacular. And you can tell that she's for the three S's of short list, storyboarding, and scripting. I have to tell you, the scripting is also very, very impressive. And when you look at what she's done, you can tell that she's thinking about the audience, she's thinking about the structure and the storytelling. What she's done on her YouTube channel, she's made the commitment to publish a video a week to explain to you how to get from what she called from the auto to the manual to become a bit braver with your camera and to get the best possible shot. Her passion comes through. Uh, it's very, very evident, but also this desire to really, really explain photography in a way that um, is jargon-free, very simple, but without cutting corners necessarily. And she explains things in such a visual way. She's making full use of what video and sound is all about. So Christina Cook, the founder of Altaban Photography, is Mashata for this week. That made me giggle, actually. Artie Bart. It reminds me of a character in The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy called Slarty Bart Fast. <laughs> <laughs> it's Artie Bart, Slarty Bart Fast. Oh, anyway, uh, I, I digress. Uh, again, I'm going to give a shout out to somebody who keeps things simple. Now, earlier on, we mentioned that NatWest Royal Bank of Scotland are launching their own business podcast. And I did say... Are people really going to listen to a financial services podcast from a bank, given the bank's reputations? Now, I always favour the financial services podcasts and content created by real people as opposed to corporates. And, and of course, one of the most famous financial services podcasters, content creators is Martin Lewis. But today I'm going to give a shout out for Lynn Beatty, who has a financial services website and uh, creates a lot of content about keeping financial services simple. And the, the I just love the name of her website. It's called Mrs. Mummy Penny. So I love that sort of uh, little nod towards the James Bond films and Miss Money Penny, obviously in the James Bond, Bond films, M's uh, PA in the in the uh, in the James Bond films. But if you want to demystify financial services, if you want tips on how to manage your money and even your health and wealth, then Lynn Beatty, Mrs. Moneypenny, is well worth checking out because it really does keep financial services simple. You know what I like about the two shout-outs is where they've chosen the names, not only to be memorable, but I think it means something to them, mm. and that's going to help them carry over the uh, the work because it takes a lot of work to do the podcasting and the videography, particularly when you want to commit to a regular show. So if you can also make sure that the branding and everything, that the, all the wraparound is stimulating for you as a, as a producer and creator, then all the better. Absolutely. Okay, great shout-outs this week. And now, Pascal, it is time. I'm going to wave a magic wand. I'm going to say abracadabra. I'm going to, I'm going to say zimzalabim. I'm going to say izzy-wizzy. Let's get busy. Let's move on to film marketing. 
This week, Pascal, we're going to be talking about a film from 2013, all about magic, all about magicians. The film was called Now You See Me, and as if by magic, let's wave the magic wand again and watch the trailer. Come in close, because the more you think you see, the easier it'll be to fool you. Ladies and gentlemen, for our final trick, we are going to rob a bank. On the count of three, you will be teleported through space and time to your bank in Paris. One, two, three. Everyone in this room was a victim of hard times. Some of you lost your homes, your cars, and so tonight, we're going to return some of that money back to you. Explain to me how you went from Las Vegas to Paris in three seconds. What do the kids call it these days? Oh, magic. First rule of magic, always be the smartest guy in the room. Your bank was the distraction. While they set up the real trick. Expose them now and destroy them. Hang on, hang on. I've got nothing. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the delay. Whatever this grand trick is, it was designed a long time ago. And I believe that what's about to follow is really going to amaze. Look closely. Because the closer you think you are, the less you'll actually see. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is a good film, isn't it? It is a good film, but one that I saw very, very late, uh, mm. I must confess. In fact, what happened is, going back to 2020, when we were at home a lot, I was going through my watch list on Amazon Prime and spotted Now You See Me 2, mm. realizing that I'd never seen the first one. So off I went looking for Now You See Me, the original from 2013, watched a trailer, um, which we just saw a moment ago, I was thinking, how is it possible that I missed this? You know, how is it possible that I didn't go to the cinema to see what is essentially an incredible bank heist movie with that layer of, of magic and illusion? Yeah. Now, this is interesting because um, we did watch it when it came out, and I rewatched it this week, two nights ago. I often rewatch the films just before we do the <laughs> review in, in film marketing. Great excuse to watch great movies. And I th thought exactly the same on the rewatch as I felt when I saw it originally, in that it's a two hour movie that goes by literally in a flash. It was like, oh, it's two hours and it's gone. It's so engrossing. But for me, Pascal, it's engrossing from the point of view of I want to know how they did the tricks. <laughs> I want to know how they did the bank heist. I want to know how they managed to pull off the misdirection. And that, for me, is what's interesting about the film. And what I do come away with thinking is I don't really know anything or care anything about the cast. We don't really learn a great deal about them. They have a bit of banter. But they aren't the star of the show. It's the it's the 
the actual heist itself, the actual mechanics of the illusion. It's the mechanics of the misdirection that's the highlight of the show. And I just wonder, I mean, it wasn't a massive blockbuster success, was it? I just wonder whether they focused too much on the, the mechanics of the magic rather than on the mechanics and the personalities of the cast themselves. That's pretty fair, actually. Uh, what I do know is when people went to buy the DVD and Blu-ray version, there was an extra 10 minutes of content, perhaps more character development, mm. and there was a multitude of deleted scenes. So I've got a feeling the director and producer probably had to make some very, very hard decision mm. and felt, well, let's keep the showmanship of you know, the, the, the magic uh, on stage linked to the bank heist because, I, 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 like you, visually, you kind of go, what? You know, it, it felt almost, particularly the first time you see it, where you don't know what's going to come next, where you were back to being a child maybe at the circus or at um, a show where you just don't know how th this happened. And in a way, do you want to know? Because, of course, once you know, the, the magic is gone. So we're going to talk about the marketing uh, in a moment, but for me, it was one of those where they had to make a decision. Do they promote this and market this as a bank heist movie? Mm -hmm. Or is it a movie about the magic and the illusion? Mm -hmm. And during the research for this one, they obviously went for the bank heist angle more. Yes. Because historically, movies where the, the magic element is being pushed forward don't tend to do so well. Yeah, I, I can see why they would have come to that conclusion. And and as as I said, I, I was absolutely fascinated with how they managed to pull off the heist. And maybe that was the right decision. But mm. as you say, I, now I'm thinking maybe I should watch the the director's cut or the or the the version with the deleted scenes. What is interesting, of course, um, is that I watched this on Netflix. It's actually on Netflix, believe it or not. And as you know, at the end of a Netflix episode or a net, net Netflix film, it comes up with suggestions as to what you can come, what you can watch next. And when it came up with the suggestion of "Now You See Me Too," I'm sitting there thinking, I didn't even know they'd made a sequel to this. So oh, really? I've that, wow. I've got that to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> and a third one for next year, I'm told. Ab absolutely right, yeah. yeah. Although it hasn't got Isla Fisher in it, the, the sequel, I believe. So that's mm. a bit of a shame. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of the uh, you know, the reason to, for, for the movie to do well, firstly, you have obviously the, the director, Le Terrier, French director, behind the transporter. Remember that from yes. with Jason Statham? What an incredible action movie. He was also behind the Incredible Hulk, if I'm not mistaken, Class of the Titans. He also worked on the Dark Crystals TV series and is the director for Fast 10 for, for, for next year. The writers are essentially well-versed in doing kind of good action pieces, um, particularly Boyaz Yakin. And one of my favorite kind of action style music composer, Brian Tyler. Mm. And then you've got the ensemble cast. And I know that some critics said, oh, it's just a rehash of Ocean's Eleven meets um, uh, Catch Me If You Can. And that's probably very, very unfair because Now You See Me feels like it's, it's got its own style, its own narrative. Uh, but I would agree that uh, back to you know that, that kind of feeling, the end feels very rushed. It reminded me a bit of some of um, 
movies I've seen where they realize, oh crap, this is two hours of storytelling. Let's wrap up the ending swiftly. And I've got a suspicion that's probably what people left feeling a little kind of uncertain about how much they enjoy the movie because the ending felt wrapped up very, very swiftly. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right there. But um, again, as I say, two hours went by really quickly. I mean, honestly, you think, oh, is it over? Two hours? Wow, that's really fast. So tell me a little bit more about the marketing. I mean, you, you did the research for this one, Pascal. Mm. So how engrossed did you get? Pretty engrossed, but equally, almost like, you know, the the the, the feelings of excitement, but also a minor disappointment. Mm. It was the same look at the marketing. Now, I think it's important to note that when it came to the marketing campaign, the original plan and the original idea was to release this movie in early 2013 mm. so that it didn't have to compete against the big blockbusters. Now, sometimes it's hard to catch your mind back to, you know, nearly um, 10 years ago, but 2013, that summer would have been taken up by maybe the Marvel Universe, probably Star Wars, you know, so the big, big um, kind of brand. So the original thought, well, let's not you know, essentially fail, you know, with uh, in terms of audience and in terms of uh, takings, let's play it safe by having a spring release, not a summer release. But actually, when you do the research on magazine like Variety, um, you have quotes from the, at the time, marketing chief officer of Summit, the distributor, Nancy Kil Kirkpatrick, sorry, who did some audience testing and it went so well that they took the, um, the, the potentially the challenge and they dare themselves to actually change the date to a summer release. So literally, they they did that, you know, quite early on. So the audience became aware of Now You See Me, November 2012, with the release of official trailers in different territories. And we obviously watched a moment ago, you know, the one that we saw. And that was the beginning of their efforts. Now, 2013, again, 10 years ago, it's a different time and space uh, in, in there. So what they did was to send the trailer as a video file to movie review websites, to YouTube channels, to bloggers, viewers, and so on, so that they can um, use it to access their own network. Because you must understand that at the time, the likes of Summit or E1, the distributor in the UK and more, they simply didn't have an audience mm. or sufficient audience. They had to use word of mouth marketing and networking. So you have things like uh, people who had access to the to the video, then creating like little games online. You know, what's your favorite ma magic trick? Vanishing money is pretty cool, but let us know in the comments below. So we're creating a reaction, but not on the official channels that we're using, I suppose, what would be named later, the influencers. Yeah, absolutely. And they did quite a little, uh, 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 say little, they did quite an interesting sort of viral campaign for this as well, didn't they? Now, one of the motifs in the film are these cards, uh, the tarot cards. Now, each of the uh, protagonists in the film, when they're recruited to join this secret magi magician society, they each receive a tarot card. Uh, I can't remember exactly which ones. One of them was definitely death. Um, and one of them was the lovers. Uh, but they actually created a viral campaign around hidden tarot cards, didn't they? It was very similar to actually your Cadbury Spoil um, yeah. campaign. Yeah. People were, it was called the Diamond Heist Challenge. Yeah. And you had to go online, actually accessing, no, no doubt, those movie review websites, bloggers, and YouTubers, 
and find still photography that would have had essentially a symbol, typically a um, one of those cards, and using an app, you would scan this this card and access exclusive video clips and more. Yeah. Now I, I imagine all the stuff isn't available anymore, but. Uh... Which is always a shame, isn't it, for people like us who are wanting to go back and, and, and rediscover how some of these films were marketed. But I guess, you know, we've, we talked about the, uh, the the twirl, the caramel twirl, and that's current, but this was relatively new even 10 years ago, wasn't it? Completely. And what is interesting, they had to use um, an, an AR app called Blipar. Mm. Now you would use Google Lens or another, life would be much, much more simpler. And I suspect instead of a card, you would have had a QR code. So yes, I think it was actually in a very innovative and daring campaign. Bear in mind that obviously now they were taking on the big boys for the summer blockbusters. So mm. between the November to this was May 2013, there was the expected PR push, but they had to find a way to be covered by the media and, of course, by the fans. And I think that that was a very, very clever way to be talked about as well as getting people excited. Yeah, and because it's an ensemble cast, therefore, you've got lots of different characters. And I, I say, I, I did feel that they didn't develop the characters well enough, but each of those characters, as you would expect, got their own poster as part of the campaign uh and each of the characters also got a title so you've got the showman the escape artist the <laughs> mentalist the debunker uh, i was a bit of a strange one the debunker the slight the rookie and the money michael kane was the money and the agent mark ruffalo was the agent. i quite like these um ensemble films that have these uh these sort of character posters. We saw it with Death on the Nile, didn't we? I, I, I always love the creativity that goes into creating the individual actors' posters. Yeah, and we saw it actually in the um, Rings of Power. You know, mm. that was a big, big thing that they the lent on. And then people, you know, as in the, the PR machine took over where they would encourage people to seek all eight out. So, you know, not all eight were sent to everyone at the same time. And could you also, it's in the film or predict, you know, after you, before you send the film, which car will be matched to which characters. So there was an element <laughs> of complicity with the, the audience as well. But what I will say, and again, we need to accept that 10 years ago is, is a long time. They didn't do much else apart from publishing it and then mm. leaving the rest to others. They didn't do as well and as much as Death on the Nile or Rings of Power for sure. Yeah, no, it it, it feels to me from looking at the material you've um, unearthed on this, Pascal, that they had the content, um, but like a lot of people, you know, it's not just about putting the content together, is it? It's all about getting it out there and repurposing it and reminding people that it's there. And it just felt, feels to me as if it was a little bit half-hearted. They had some great content, but they didn't really do much with it. Yeah, because, I mean, they were under pressure. You know, the premiere was in New York City on the 21st of May 2013, and therefore there was a rollout globally. Um, there was some strange data as well, which perhaps didn't help, whereby normally when a movie comes out, you know, they, everyone gets to see the movie within a, a matter of, of a few weeks. But the rollout was nearly three to four months. Um, the UK was a third July, which is from the 21st of May to the 3rd of July is a long time. 
and France saw it at the end of July as well. So there was a really long spread out moment. So I think with that in mind, I think the campaign could have been just a bit more sustained and they could have lent more into to the different assets that they had at the time for sure. Yeah, and they did a poster design competition mm. as well, Pascal. What was all that about? So they were inviting fans really to, by just watching the trailer, maybe um, by that time, because I was June 2013, if they'd seen the film, to send their own efforts in creating a poster for, for the film. And it was fascinating because they were in partnership with Tumblr on you know, that blogging pl platform. Mm -hmm. And as a result of which, you know, a lot of people went in uh, either, and, and it was a big range of, of designs, and you had very, very kind of modern looking design, almost in line with their own efforts. And people went almost like Art Deco, almost like Houdini style. And um, then they announced the, the winner on the official Twitter account. Yeah, I quite like the, uh, I, I mean, I've always been a fan of movie competitions, as you would expect. And, and it is quite a, it is quite an interesting uh, visual that the winner came up with. So it's, it's, it's worth digging out the tweet just to, just to see that. What about the, um, the exclusive partnership with IGN that went on with this? Yeah, now that that's very interesting because I, I don't think I've, we've seen that happen very very often. Where so we are pretty much in kind of release territory now. You know, all the different countries are getting to see the um, the, the movie, and in the UK, as I mentioned a moment ago, this was released you know early early July. So just for the UK, just to get the PR kind of going, they were sending twenty second teasers to specific platforms. Mm. Where, and in this case, it was IGN, and only IGN followers and fans would get to see the um, twenty seconds teaser, creating again an element of uh, you know FOMO, which um, we've covered many, many a time. Mm. And what what is interesting is it was clearly something that was really. Um, well thought out. So on a, a moment ago, we were a little critical of, ah, you know, they could have done more by the, the poster design, that kind of things. But here we have something where clearly a local agency, I'm going to argue, I'm guessing here, but a, a local agency really thought it through and said, this is a way we're going to get people excited about the potential to go and see Now You See Me in the UK by creating exclusive content to very specific platforms. Yeah, so that worked. So the IGN stuff worked, but the actual social media um, for the film was a little bit low key, wasn't it? Um, I mean, again, it's this was ten years ago, and you know, it, social media is so embedded in everything we do now. But you know, you're thinking about it. 2013 is only three years after the start of Twitter, isn't it? Well, that's 2006 the start of Twitter, wasn't it? But it, we're still in the early days of social media, so maybe we shouldn't have been too critical. No, and 2013 was really, uh, for me, the start of uh, the popularity of my social media marketing mm. training courses. Uh, I was getting uh, you know, classrooms full of people to mm. learn about it. So we are at the same time. So yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, out of respect and kindness to the producers and marketing team, they were wrestling with it too and trying to understand it. Mm. For me, it's um, it was very evident that when I did the research, the the accounts they had Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, as we'd expect, they were completely taken over by Now You See Me Too. Mm. That was released in 2016. 
And I mean, literally, it's like 10% of the content is now you see me, and 90% is now you see me too. Um, so they did obviously what you would expect. You know, they had some great um, repurposing of quotes and praises yeah. from different review sites and magazine. And I love, you know, the artwork again. It, it's almost semi-traditional as well as being very, very modern. They had, of course, um, what we've seen in, in other movies, quotes from the main characters from the movie. So whether you've seen the movie or not, you're going to get that phrase or that sentence being mentioned. And then, of course, they had a lot of call to actions and teaser graphics about book your tickets now, go now, with um, different scenes from the movie. And what they did there with those kind of call to action posts, they were using that kind of mirror and angles and broken shards uh, kind mm -hmm, of uh, mm -hmm. motif that we also saw in the in the main poster. But apart from that, it was almost like, well, we're not sure what to do with social media, or maybe they didn't have the resource. They did just enough, but actually didn't capitalize on all the good stuff we mentioned, like the trailer, the teasers, the, the character posters, and so on. So it was almost as though they probably actually were still doing a very good job with print media, but perhaps not with online media. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because to me, the big theme of the movie was the whole idea of misdirection, and that that's what magic's about, isn't it? Mm. You know, you draw the audience's attention to the right, and you get them to look to the right, whilst you're messing around doing something on the left, and it's because they miss what you're doing on the left because they're looking to the right that they actually think that what you've done is magic. And I think maybe they could have tried a lot more trickery like that in the marketing of the film i mean a, a, a film about magic to me needed a magic marketing campaign and this to me doesn't really feel like a magic marketing campaign no i mean the highlight remains you know the the treasure hunt of, of sorts yeah. in a way you've got to go online and find the cards and scan the cards to access more content i, I think that for 2013 that's absolutely genius i love the, the character posters and, and what they've done with the design as well and it was just maybe back to this idea of um, observing the 2013 campaign is almost like a time capsule about how difficult it was to get your head around it yeah. and how tricky it was to maybe get a team to be behind social media. And the evidence is that three years later, I do think, now you see me too, it's 2016, I could be wrong, but certainly a few years later, it was like it's like night and day. The social media campaigns are far, far superior. So yeah, I, I think for me, an amazing movie. If you've not seen Now You See Me, you're gonna have a blast. It's a great, great entertaining movie. And when it comes to to the marketing, bear in mind that they went for that daring um go of let's go for the summer release now and let's take on the big boys. They could have just spent a bit longer on squeezing more value from their efforts. Yeah, I am definitely going to look out for the second film, Pascal, and maybe <laughs> we'll bring the second film into the film marketing yeah. slot in in, a, in a little while. We won't do it too soon, but maybe in mm. six months to a year's time, we'll look at um, Now You See Me Too. Wow. Once again, an absolutely packed episode of really interesting stuff. And as you said earlier, a bit of a orientation towards video this week. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to the show. Thank you so much if you watched the show on YouTube. We really do appreciate you taking the time to watching and listening. If you've got any questions if you've got any suggestions if you've got any comments let us know either on the socials either speak to us on twitter leave a comment on the youtube um, page or you can talk to us using speakpipe pascal quickly remind us about speakpipe 
BigPipe is a voicemail message app that literally allows you to press on the microphone symbol on the web page. You can leave us a voice message. You leave your comments, your suggestions. As Roger mentioned a moment ago, speakpipe.com forward slash two geeks and a marketing podcast fantastic so thank you once again for listening or watching and we will see you on the next episode and until then please go out there and make sure that your marketing is done right i was roger edwards and he was pascal fintoni Cheers.